The Pocket Astronomer with Mark Thompson. Episode 2, Galaxies and Legends. In tonight's episode, we'll be hunting down the constellations Ursa Major, Cassiopeia and Pegasus. We'll be exploring the Milky Way and locating the Andromeda Galaxy and Mars using nothing more than just our eyes. So get ready to join me on a journey into the night sky. The following episode is ideal for listeners in the UK, Northern Europe, Northern USA and Canada during August 2020. You're listening to The Pocket Astronomer, your audio guide to the stars. I'm Mark Thompson and I'm addicted to stargazing. After listening to this podcast, I really hope you'll be too. Each episode, I'll walk you through a series of observations that anyone can make, and you won't need a telescope or binoculars, just your eyes and a sense of adventure. Tonight, we're going to be exploring the constellations Ursa Major, Cassiopeia and Pegasus, studying the Milky Way and locating the Andromeda Galaxy and Mars. August, like July, is still a month of long daylight hours. If you're listening during the first week of August, then you'll need to head outside around midnight local time. If you're listening around the middle of the month, then aim for 11pm. And near the end of August, you can head outside around 10pm local time. The constellation named Ursa Major is often used to refer to the plough, but there's a difference. Ursa Major is the official name for the constellation that represents a great bear, and part of that constellation is the asterism, which means a well-known pattern of stars known as the plough. The plough is called many things from the Big Dipper to the Saucepan, but it's not an official constellation. Instead, it represents the hind and tail of the Great Bear. Ursa Major is one of the oldest and easiest constellations to recognise in the sky and even gets a mention in the Bible. In Greek mythology, Zeus was married to Hera, but he fell in love with Callisto. Zeus and Callisto had a baby boy between them called Arcas. Hera was angry and turned Callisto into a bear, and wandering the earth as a bear for 15 years, she came face to face with her son Arcas. He didn't recognise his mother and raised a spear to her. Zeus saw this from Olympus, and to prevent Arcas killing his mother, he turned Arcas into the constellation Boertes and Callisto into Ursa Major. Another very easy constellation to recognise is Cassiopeia. From the UK, Cassiopeia is a constellation which is circumpolar, which means it never sets and is above the horizon at all times, even during the day. During the night time, Cassiopeia can easily be found in the northern part of the sky, looking like a great celestial W or M, depending on the time of year. There are many stories about Cassiopeia, but in most, she was the wife of the Ethiopian king Cepheus. In one story, she is said to have insulted the sea nymphs by telling them that she was more beautiful. The nymphs appealed to Poseidon, who sent a whale to terrorise them, but under guidance from the oracles, chained their only daughter Andromeda to rocks as a sacrifice. Andromeda was saved by Perseus, and during their wedding, which soon followed, a fight broke out. Perseus used the head of Medusa as a weapon, but Cassiopeia and Cepheus got caught in Medusa's gaze and turned to stone, whereupon they were placed in the sky by Poseidon. Pegasus is the final constellation we're going to look at tonight, and it represents a winged horse that sprang up from the foam of the sea 
when the blood of Medusa dripped into the ocean. Pegasus is a large constellation that's easily found by hunting down the Great Square of Pegasus, as its name suggests, it's a great celestial square. We can use Pegasus to help us find the Andromeda Galaxy, an object 2.5 million light years away, which means the light that will enter your eye this evening will have been travelling for 2.5 million years. That's right, once again, you'll be looking back in time. We'll also hunt down Mars, a planet that's often referred to as the Red Planet, and it actually does look red, or sometimes more pink to the eye. Finally, we'll take a wander along the Milky Way, with a combined light from the billions of stars in our very own galaxy. Of all the sights in the night sky, gazing upon the light from the Milky Way, which has been prominent in so many cultures, actually still gives me goosebumps, as I think about all the billions of people that have looked at it, just like we will tonight. A bonus event to look out for this month is the Perseid Meteor Shower. Every year around the 12th of August, Earth passes through the orbit of Comet Swift-Tuttle and encounters a stream of debris left behind by the comet, a bit like a car driving through a swarm of flies. As each particle of debris falls through the atmosphere, it causes the gas surrounding it to glow, and we see it as a shooting star. If the particle is destroyed high up in the atmosphere, then they're known as meteors, but if they land, we call them meteorites. The best time to spot meteors from the Perseid shower is in the hours after midnight, when we'll be on the forward-facing side of the Earth. But it is possible to see them at any time of night, and as we approach the middle of the month, the number of meteors you might see will peak. If we're very lucky, we could get to see up to 100 per hour during the peak in the early hours of the 13th of August. Now we know what we're looking for, let's get ready to head outside. For those of you staying tucked up in bed, check out our Facebook page at The Pocket Astro for some suggested images to enjoy alongside the audio. Before you head outside, here are four important things to remember. Make sure you wrap up warm. Make sure your garden is free from any trip hazards. If you start to feel cold or disorientated, don't be afraid to take a break. You can pause and rewind this guide at any point. When you're ready, we'll begin. Glad you can make it. Now let's get ready to do some stargazing. But first, we need to get our eyes acclimatised to the night sky. You know the drill. First make sure you've turned out any lights in the garden or the house, or if others are still there, it might be kinder to just close the curtains if you've got any. Don't worry. If you need to do that now, just hit pause and I'll wait for you. Good. Now find yourself a comfortable spot. I like to stand to stargaze, but you might find it easier to sit down or even lie on the grass. But just watch out for objects before you lie down. Press pause and when you're ready, I'll be here. Comfortable? Good. Now, count to 20 whilst you let your eyes get used to the dark. This gives the iris of your eye time to fully open or dilate. It actually takes a good 40 minutes for your eyes to become fully dark adapted, so you'll notice that you can see more and more as we wander among the stars together. 5, 4, 3, 2 and 1. 
there. You should now be starting to see the sky a little bit more clearly. Let's find our starting point, and just like last month, we'll use Vega in Lyra again because it's currently really easy to find. Just look straight up and find the brightest star which is almost overhead. That's Vega in Lyra. Great, now we're all ready to make our first observation. The constellation of Ursa Major. We're going to need to do a bit of star hopping to get from Vega to Ursa Major. Listeners from episode one will be familiar with the fist width. Here's a quick reminder. Simply extend your arm towards Vega and clench your fist. Now imagine a line from Vega dropping straight down to the horizon and measure two fist widths up from the horizon along that line. Just to the right of that point is a bright red star called Arcturus, but we're not stopping here. Measure three fist widths to the right of Arcturus and about two fist widths up. You should now come across what looks like a giant saucepan with a bent handle. This is the plough, a well-known pattern of stars in Ursa Major. Press pause and take a few moments to practice your star hopping. When you're ready, we'll start exploring the plough. Ready? Look for the three bright stars that make up the handle of the plough, or if you prefer, the tail of the great bear. Found them? From left to right, they are Alcaid, Mizar, and Alioth, and they meet at the bear's backside at a fainter star called Megres. All four stars look pretty similar, but I want to focus your attention on the second star from the left, Mizar. Look closely, and you might be able to see a second star, fainter than Mizar, but very close. Take a moment to find it, pressing pause if you need to. This faint star is Alcor. Alcor and Mizar are famous because to the naked eye, they look like just two stars, but each star is a binary star of its own. Closer inspection reveals that Mizar is actually a quadruple star system, and with Alcor's binary system, all six stars are engaged in a great celestial waltz. Okay, now we've found Mizar and Alcor, let's move on. Or if you're having trouble finding them, simply rewind and listen to my instructions again. Take all the time you need. I'll be waiting for you. Ready? From Mizar and Alcor, move two fist widths to the right and gaze down a little to find Dubay, another star of similar brightness. Dubay is the star at the top right of the bowl of the dipper, and below it and a little bit to the left, by half a fist width, is Merak. Together, these two stars are known as the pointer stars, and they are great for helping you find the direction north. Take a line from Merak, the bottom star, up through Dubay, and on in the same direction for three fist widths. There you'll find a fainter star, Polaris, the North Pole star. Take a few moments to find Dubay and Polaris, then we can continue.
If you were standing at the North Pole, then Polaris would be directly overhead. If you were at the equator, then it would be on the horizon. And at mid-latitudes, like the UK, Polaris will be somewhere in between. Sailors used to measure how high Polaris was above the horizon so that they could determine their latitude. And wherever you are in the Northern Hemisphere, Polaris will always lie due north, thus helping you find your way. Press pause and take a few moments to use Polaris to work out the directions east, south and west. Back to Dubai again, the top star at the front of the bowl. We're now going to use it to find some of the other stars in Ursa Major. Two fist widths to the lower right of Dubai is a star a little fainter than Polaris called Omicron Ursa Majoris. Its common name is Musida, which rather appropriately means muzzle as it marks the nose of the great bear. Just over one fist width below and to the left of Musida, you will find a moderately bright pair of stars close to each other. These two stars look close, but in reality they're quite distant. The top star, Talitha, is 47 light years away, but the lower star, Talitha Australis, is just over seven times further away at 360 light years. Together, they represent the front paw of the bear. Great, that's the constellation Ursa Major and its well-known asterism, the plough. Take some time to make sure you're happy with these observations and when you're ready, we'll move on to Cassiopeia. If your podcast player supports them, you can use the chapter markers to quickly move between sections. The constellation of Cassiopeia. Glance to the right of Ursa Major and about four fist widths to the right, you'll find a yellow star which is the sixth brightest star in the night sky, Capella in Auriga. From there, look upwards and a little to the right by four fist widths to find a giant celestial W on its side. Congratulations, you've just found Cassiopeia. There are five prominent stars marking the W shape. They're supposed to represent a queen sat in her throne, but I can't see that. I will always just see it as a W. The top star in Cassiopeia is Caf. It looks quite unremarkable, but it's a star that's 54 light years away and pulsates 10 times a day meaning there's a tiny change in the amount of energy that it emits, making what's known as a variable star. Whilst the change in brightness is undetectable by the naked eye, variable stars are very useful to astronomers. Take a few moments to enjoy CAF, and when you're ready, we'll move on. CAF is actually the second brightest star in Cassiopeia, Let's now find the rest of them. Half a fist width directly below Caf is the brightest star in Cassiopeia, called Shedar. Its name comes from the Arabic word Sadra, meaning breast, and it lies at a position that marks the heart of Queen Cassiopeia. Look carefully at the colour of Shedar and compare it 
to the other bright stars around it. What colour do you think it is? That's right, Shedder is actually an orange star, whilst the majority of other bright stars around it are white or white with a hint of blue, meaning they are much, much hotter. Half a fist width to the left is Gamma Cassiopeia, the central star of the constellation and the third brightest. Below it is Ruchbar, or Delta Cassiopeiae, a white star that is around 3,000 degrees hotter than the Sun. Finishing off the main shape of Cassiopeia is Seguin, a blue-white supergiant star. A supergiant is a star that can be thousands of times bigger than the Sun. Seguin is hotter than Ruchbar by about 9,000 degrees, making it around 12,000 degrees hotter than the Sun. Compare the colour of Seguin with Shedder, the yellow star we just looked at, and you should be able to see the colour difference. If you need a little bit more time, simply press pause or rewind to listen again. Cassiopeia is among a special group of constellations that, from certain latitudes like the UK, always appear above the horizon. We call this special group circumpolar constellations, which means they will always circle the pole and never set below the horizon. Take a few moments to really familiarise yourself with Cassiopeia, as you will always be able to find it in the night sky and can use it to find other constellations. The constellation of Pegasus. Now to find Pegasus. We'll start at Shedar, the brightest star in Cassiopeia, and the one that was slightly yellow in colour. Once you've found Shedar, move three fist widths to the right to find a fainter orange coloured star. This is Shiat, the second brightest star of Pegasus, the winged horse. Pegasus is an easy constellation to find because just like Ursa Major, it's got a famous asterism. In this case, a great big square, which we call rather imaginatively the square of Pegasus. When you're happy you found Pegasus, we'll move on. To find the rest of the square of Pegasus, it's very useful to know that each side of the square is just over a fist width wide. Starting from Shiat, head slightly to the lower left to Alpha Rats, the brightest star in Pegasus, to the lower right of Alpha Rats is Algenib, and then to its upper right is Markab. See if you can find the four corners of the square. Don't worry if you get stuck, simply rewind and listen to these instructions again. The rest of the stars of Pegasus extend off to the right of the square, with the stars to the lower right forming the neck, and those to the upper right, the front legs. Pegasus, the flying horse, is actually upside down. Let's turn our attention now back to Alpha Rats, the left star as you look at the square tonight, and the brightest star in Pegasus. 
It's unusual among the stars because it's in the constellation Pegasus, but it's also in the constellation Andromeda. The two constellations are connected by this star, and the names are inspired by the Greek mythology where Pegasus helps to rescue the chained Andromeda from the sea monster Cetus. Alpharats is a great star to remember because we can use that to find the Andromeda galaxy. Pause as much as you like or rewind if you need some more help. The Galaxy of Andromeda Time to find the Andromeda galaxy. Relocate Alpharats, the brightest star in Pegasus. Half a fist width to the lower left is Delta Andromedae. You can identify it because it looks red in colour. A further half fist width to the left is a brighter red star called Mirac, which lies at a distance of about 200 light years, but it shines almost 2,000 times more brightly than the Sun. Now we've located Mirac, we can hunt down the Andromeda galaxy. Ready? Three finger widths at arm's length above Mirac is Mu Andromedae. Above that, by another three finger widths, is the location of the Andromeda galaxy. You're looking for a faint, fuzzy patch of light. If the moon's above the horizon, then you'll struggle to see it, or if you have a bit too much light pollution in your area. If you're struggling to find it, you might like to try a clever technique called averted vision. Try looking slightly away from the position we've just found and you might find a fuzzy blob pops up in the corner of your eye. This technique uses the more sensitive parts of your eye to pick up the faint light from the galaxy. Take some time to practice finding the Andromeda galaxy and getting used to looking at it. The Andromeda galaxy is the most distant object you will ever be able to look at with just your eyes. As we learned earlier, it's 2.5 million light years away. That means you're seeing the galaxy as it was 2.5 million years ago. You are literally looking back in time. We use light years to explain distances in astronomy because miles and kilometres are just too small we would end up with massive numbers with way too many zeros to deal with. For instance, one light year is the same as the distance that light can travel in one year, which is 9.5 trillion kilometers. The Andromeda galaxy is actually quite similar to our own Milky Way galaxy. They're both spiral galaxies with stars, planets, gas clouds and clusters all of their own. We've just seen a distant galaxy, but we can see the light from our own galaxy too. Are you ready to explore the Milky Way? The Milky Way Just to the upper left of the Andromeda galaxy is the familiar W shape of Cassiopeia. 
About four fist widths to the lower left of Cassiopeia is the bright yellow star Capella in Auriga. We saw this last month, if you remember. As you look at Capella in this direction, the Milky Way pops up over the northeastern horizon. It then extends up through Cassiopeia and continues along that line across the sky through Cygnus, which is almost overhead, Aquila, and then down through Sagittarius in the southwest. Take a few moments to see if you can find our galaxy. The Milky Way is far brighter over in the southwest because we're looking towards the centre of our galaxy. As you gaze along the Milky Way, look for dark patches. These are giant dark dust clouds blocking the view of the stars behind them. Press pause and take the time you need to have a wander along the Milky Way. See if you can spot any of the dark patches or maybe some brighter regions. You can pause and rewind if you want to hear the instructions again. Well done. Now let's move on to Mars. The planet Mars. Let's finish off with our last observation of tonight, Mars. You've probably already seen it tonight without realising it. First, find the square of Pegasus again. It's over in the east right now. That's the opposite direction to where the sun sets. Look below the square by about two fist widths, quite low down. You're looking for the brightest starlight object in that part of the sky. Once you've found it, is it red? If so, then congratulations, you've just found Mars. Press pause and begin your Mars gazing, or rewind if you want to hear the instructions again. So this is Mars, 95 million kilometres away. But the striking thing about it, as you can see, is its colour. Mars looks red because it's covered in a material called iron oxide. You're already familiar with this. Leave a metal object outside and the oxygen in the atmosphere reacts with the iron in the metal to produce iron oxide, or as you may know it, rust. The surface of Mars is literally covered in a dusty, rusty, powdery material. And it's not unusual for the winds of Mars to whip up this dust into a sandstorm that blocks the surface features from view. Take a few moments to enjoy or rewind if you need some help. Just before you head inside and while facing Mars, look over your right shoulder. Can you see a really bright star about the same height? That's no star, it's the planet Jupiter. And that slightly fainter star to the left is Saturn. Amazing, you've just spotted three planets. Now I don't know about you, but I'm ready to head inside for some hot chocolate. Take it easy, as the bright lights indoors may seem a bit overwhelming to start with.
well done. With just your eyes, you found three constellations, a galaxy and three planets. Not bad for an evening stargazing. My favourite part about tonight's observations was definitely wandering along the Milky Way. For me, this is the real jewel in the crown of the night sky for naked eye astronomy. So many stars, dust clouds and objects just waiting to be discovered. Before we go, there's just time to answer a few listeners' questions. Carla writes to ask about the tiny mountains inside craters on the moon, and she also asks, what's my favourite lunar marking and why? Well, my favourite lunar feature is the crater Tycho, which is 86 kilometres across, and it's easily seen with the naked eye, and that's what I love about it. You can enjoy it without any equipment, but if you do have binoculars or telescopes, then you can see more and more detail, and it does look incredible through a telescope. It's also got one of those weird mountains that Carlo asked about. Craters form when a piece of rock smacks into the surface of the moon, and the force of the impact compresses and can even melt the surface rock. It will only take so much compression before the molten rock bounces back off the crater walls to form a central peak. Jerry asks, my daughter is space mad. Should I get her binoculars or a telescope? Well, that's a great question, Jerry, and a tricky one. Many people do recommend binoculars before telescopes, which I would agree with for adults, but not for kids. I think they'll be more inspired and engaged if they have their very own telescope. Any starter telescope will do, but a great choice would be the Celestron First Scope, which sells for under £60. In fact, we are running a competition to win one. To enter, simply go to our Facebook page at The Pocket Astro and reply in the competition post with an answer to this question. How many times do I say the word galaxy in this month's show? If you've got any questions you want to ask me, just email me at mark at thepocketastronomer.com and I might read yours out on the show. Equally, I'd love to receive any pictures of your own observations and the best ones I'll share on our Facebook page at The Pocket Astro. Next episode, we'll be exploring the colour of stars, hunting down the centre of our galaxy and I'll be challenging your eyes to see if you can spot Uranus. Thanks for joining me on my audio guide to the stars. I can't wait to see you again next month. I'm Mark Thompson. Goodbye. The Pocket Astronomer was a Why Did the Chicken production. It was written and presented by Mark Thompson with help from Lorraine Kelly. The producers were Amber Miller and Dan Page. If you enjoyed the show, please do three nice things for us. Subscribe, rate us on iTunes and tell a friend.